Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. We need times where we're quiet. We need times where we're just reveling in his presence. Sometimes it's not about what we're asking or even what he's saying, but it's just about being with him and being with him. Amen. It's important to be with him. And we should have a lifestyle of fellowshipping and communing with the father. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine. I want to continue today. Are you all ready for the word today? Ready to receive the word? I'm ready to give the word and we've got to be ready to receive the word. Amen. There is a uh, there's a disconnect many times between what God says and what we receive. And so we need to make sure that those two line up. We need to make sure that there isn't a disconnect between what God is saying and what we are getting. And um, that takes preparation. Just as I have to prepare myself to deliver the word, we've got to also be prepared in our hearts and in our minds to receive the word. And I don't know what brought you to church today, but I hope that we can now begin to set our minds on the word, not on what we're doing after service or who's playing the big game or who played the big game yesterday. Um, Not where we're going to go eat, but what we're going to eat right now spiritually from the word. It, de- it deserves our attention. You know, your life is dictated by attention. The enemy and God both operate in our lives through attention. Wherever you give attention determines the results you get. And so God's word needs attention. Not divided, not distracted, but focus. Focus, that's why... God's word says to set our minds, to become fixed in our thinking, because where we become distracted, we lose. Where we become divided, um, we cannot get the result or the product that we desire. So we need to give the word of God our attention. And here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says that Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area teaching in the synagogues, and announcing the good news about the kingdom. You know, Jesus was infatuated, in love with, uh, uh, obsessed with the kingdom of God. That's, that's a, uh, not a message that a lot of people um, are used to hearing because we talk more about Jesus than talking about what Jesus talked about. But there's a difference The focus of our ministry today is usually about Jesus and heaven and the cross, but that wasn't the focus focus of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like that. He was constantly trying to bring the kingdom of God down to our level that where we could understand it. And the whole reason why he was even crucified and removed from this earth uh, uh, or you tried to be removed from this earth was because that he had a kingdom message. They didn't 
kill him necessarily because he was crazy or uh, because he talked about God a lot or because of all the good things he did. All the good things wouldn't merit death. All the healings and the uh, he, he came and he brought a, a culture that was contrary to what the people wanted. He ministered a gospel of the kingdom. Doesn't say that he ministered the good news about Jesus. It says he ministered the good news about the kingdom. I know that it's, it's kind of uh, weird to think, but government is the answer for the world today. I said government is the answer for the world today. And, and usually we, we have this idea that um, we, we don't talk about how bad something is or how messed up something is or even our opinion of the matter until it breaks. We would have no care about what the United States government did as long as it supplied everything that we thought it should supply us. Many times we don't notice stuff until it doesn't work. And so if we had a government that was set up according to God's design, we wouldn't be complaining about government. And when I say a statement like government is the answer for the world today, you wouldn't be bucking me and you wouldn't be saying, whoa, what are you talking about, Pastor? You must be off your rocker, government. No, the government you think of is broken. The system that, that you identify with, yes, is messed up and cannot fix you, cannot do anything for you. But God did not come to bring a religion. He came to bring a government. People say this, you know, uh, Christianity, it's, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. Well, that's true to some degree, but it's really more than relationship. Why? Why do I need a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, the, the, my father? Why, why do I need a relationship? You need a relationship because everything that you have been mandated and ordained to do in this earth flows through that relationship. And when that relationship is severed, you can no longer do what you're called to do. See, most of us just think about the relationship, meaning uh, I have a relationship with God, so he loves me and he cares about me. And, 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 and even when people don't love me and even when I mess up and, 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 you know, I sin, God still loves me. But what we don't recognize is that the relationship is not about what God thinks about us, but it's about what God wants to get to us and get through us. Are you hearing me now? We've we've twisted it. We've we've messed up what the message of the Bible is all about because we never went back to the beginning. We never went back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter one, man was not placed on this earth to just sit around and eat fruit and lie around in the grass naked all day. Which is the paradise that people think about. Oh, I can't wait for paradise. You wouldn't want to do what Adam and Eve were doing. I'm going to tell you right now. They had work to do. I said they had work to do. They had a job. They had an assignment. Tend and keep the garden. I don't, I don't like gardening and I don't like landscaping and I, I don't like that stuff. I, I don't know. They had, to, they had to keep the garden. They had to guard the garden. Keep it safe. Why would you have to keep something safe in paradise? Even in paradise, there was evil. Man just didn't know it. Because there was a tree called the knowledge of what? Good 
and evil. Up to that point, they only knew good. But it was there. And it was in the garden the whole time, waiting to take you out. Waiting to take out Adam and Eve. But we, we, we think that, you know, the devil can just do whatever he wants to do. We don't recognize that we were in a position, Adam and Eve were in a position to do something about it. They didn't need to pray to God about the devil. They didn't need to say, oh, dear God, this big bad snake trying to tempt me. God gave them everything they needed. He gave them his word. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree. Realize if if Adam and Eve never ate of the tree, where would they be today? Where would they be today? They'd be right here. There was nothing that God needed to do to intervene in that situation. Nothing. So this, that's why we don't understand the gospel according to the kingdom. That's why we don't understand that the gospel that Jesus preached, not just the gospel about Jesus or the gospel. Uh, have you heard? Have you heard the good news about Jesus? Have you heard the good news about Jesus? But Jesus is saying, tell them what I told them. Share with them what I was sharing with them, because Jesus never preached about the cross. He never did. But yet that consumes about 90 percent of our messages every weekend. He never preached about heaven. But usually that's the focal point that we give to people when we get them in the kingdom. We're saying, if you want to die, if you die today, do you know where you, that's usually our leading line. Which, hey, that's great to get you think. It's great to get you to a finality really quick. It's great to get you a, to a consummated end. Okay, if I die. But what about while I'm living? Why are we asking people, if you live for 40 more years, do you know why you would live? Because you're taking me all the way to death, but I'm not there yet. I'm still trucking and moving. I'm still breathing. And, and while I'm in this world, you know, cause, and that's why most believers have the escape plan. Because we set them up for that. If you died today, do you know where you would go? I must, I must be ready to get out of here. What, what, what am I down here for? No, if you live today, do you know what you would do? If you lived, what are you going to do? If you live tomorrow, what are you going to do with that tomorrow? What are you going to do with that 20? Changes our, it, it shifts our thinking. Shifts our thinking. Jesus wanted to help people find eternal life. Eternal life. Life. Life that they had never known. Coming up to a, a woman at the well and, and, and helping her understand that you have a life. You have a purpose and you're running to things that will never fill you up. But what I want to show you is I want to put the thing in you that will keep you full. And then you'll find out you're the well that people can come to to get help. You don't have to run to the well. You can become the well. That's what he was trying to show that woman. And then she went back to the town and she did what? I got to tell you about a man that I met. And they're all thinking, great, another man. This is what, number six, number seven? You're going to keep on going with all these men? No, no, no. I found a man. I found a man. I will never have to run to a well. I will never have to go to someone else for another drink. I will never become so famished and so impoverished that I have to rely on other people. I've got a well inside of me. I found a man. And he showed me how to live. 
not how to die. So he announced the good news about the kingdom, a government. That's what a kingdom is. A a kingdom is a government ruled by a king where the king has the final say. And he healed every kind of disease and illness because that's how the kingdom operates. He demonstrated the kingdom. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great. Even after teaching, even after preaching, even after helping, even after healing. They're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is great, but the workers, workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. We've been talking about changing my world. Changing my world because most of us have our eyes set on changing the world. But honestly, we're not doing that. We're not. I I heard a story just this past week, actually. It was a perfect setup. goes right in line with what I've been talking about. There was a a story about a, a, a pastor or a minister, let's just say minister. I don't know that he was necessarily a pastor, but back in the 30s and 40s, we were trying, Christians and believers and ministers were trying to go, trying to use the radio, use radio waves to get the message across. And so he had this this radio station. He was in this little farmland, I think somewhere in Illinois, somewhere in, you know, the mid-U.S., you know, just a little rural town. And um, he had this little radio station that just went out locally. It wasn't nationwide, wasn't around the world, it was just right there locally. But he would always start out every message with the phrase, hello world, hello world. And somebody asked him one day, why do you always say hello world? You're not talking to probably more than 200 people. And he said, that's my world. That's my world. See, when, 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 you, when you get the, the, the focus straightened out and, and, and thank God for missionaries, thank God for works that are happening. Bill, you're leaving for India, aren't you? Tomorrow he's leaving for India. Leaving for India tomorrow. Going to be there two months? Two Months. I wouldn't last two days. Two months in India doing missions work. Thank God for that. But you know what? That's his world. That's his world. Anybody else leaving tomorrow for India? Nope. I know we got someone leaving tomorrow for Afghanistan that they are. Mr. Jason deploying. Anybody else deploying? Nope. Sticking around? All right, good. Hallelujah. We're going to pray for both of you guys at the end of service. They're both being deployed. He's being deployed and Jason's being deployed. And they're not being deployed uh, by the military or by the United States. They're being deployed by the kingdom of God. Come on, it's a bigger assignment than that. Well, this is what this is where they told me to be. This is where they landed me. This is no, 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 no. It's a call. There's a call and we're following the will of God. We're not just ending up in random cities, random towns. And, and I mean, we've got military all across this room that, that something brought you here. But I'm telling you that something other than what you think brought you here. The kingdom brought you here. The kingdom needs you here in Valdosta, Georgia. And the kingdom needs you wherever you're going. It's about changing your world. Your world. 
How can I change my world? Because we get our eyes set on what's going on overseas and we're missing what's happening in the cubicle. We miss what's happening right next door to us. I mean, we, got, we have snake people living across the street from us. You think I'm joking. You got to go watch the news. We had an individual in our neighborhood right across the street release a hundred snakes into the neighborhood. The stuff I pray for your pastor. Come on. And then when they released the news, our house is on the front thing. I'm still not joking. Our bright red front doors. That's the last thing I need. Local pastor has snakes released into. I'm not a snake pastor. I promise. I am not the snake pastor. Neighbors that need Jesus. I had to call the cops a couple weeks ago on other neighbors. About 25 college kids beating the mess out of each other in a garage at two o'clock in the morning as loud as they could. I'm not even kidding you. And they were enjoying it. Only because they were under the influence. I mean, they were just tearing into each other. Loving it. Get hit in the face and just fall on the ground laughing hysterically. And I'm like, that's enough. I was patient at 10 and 11 and 12 and 1. At 2 o'clock, I said, that's it. We're, we're shutting you down. They're right here in my neighborhood. Right in my neighborhood. My world. My world. Jesus is healing, ministering. He's, 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 he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And even yet, still people are lost. People are still helpless. People are, are like Jesus said, they look like sheep. Without a shepherd. Have you ever seen sheep without a shepherd? Probably not because we have no reference for that. But it's it's not good. They're careless. They're casual. They 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 do whatever feels good, whatever pleases them. They they are lost and helpless. And Jesus doesn't say, just pray to God and, and, and he'll fix it. No, he says, Pray to the Lord of harvest that he will send workers. Guess what? That's you and I. The workers to bring in the harvest. In Matthew chapter 22, we've kind of just been progressing here through Matthew. And trying to get a picture of how we reach a lost world. How we reach a lost world. And in Jesus' time, he had an interesting ministry because he really came and and messed everything up. He he messed up what all the religious people, the ones that ought to have received him and accepted him with open arms, like, hey, this is the one we've been crying out to. This is the one we've been praying for. This is the one we've been believing for. And and, and he came in, in, in an image and in a form that they did not expect. And they completely missed the coming of the Messiah. But then the ones that did receive him and the ones that that did get access to him and the ones that did open their homes and their arms and their lives to Jesus. I mean, the, the crew that Jesus ran around with, the 12 that he went and called, these weren't just 12 guys that said, I ain't got nothing else to do. I'll come follow you. They were busy doing stuff. And Jesus said, come follow me. Tax collectors. Fishermen, 
uneducated men, the, the, the book of Acts says. Men that had no business doing ministry. Men that had no business serving and, and, and bringing the message of the kingdom to the world. But yet those are the ones that Jesus found. Those are the ones that Jesus called. And then, you know, he ends up in the homes of harlots and he ends up in the homes of tax collectors and he ends up in the homes and changing lives, changing lives left and right. Jesus doing a miraculous work, but there was a group that that missed out. And here in Matthew chapter 22, verse one. We get a glimpse into this. It says, and Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven. Again, he's talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. So a king has invited has invited, gone out and invited people to come to his son's wedding. He's inviting them. Please come. We, we want you to come. And they said they were not willing to come. So again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. The only thing they are responsible to do is come. The only thing that they are responsible for is to show up. God has 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 killed the fatted calf. The, the, the king has is ready to serve them. The king is ready to wait on them. The kingdom is, is ready with open arms to welcome them to the marriage of his son. But they are just simply not willing. There's nothing there's nothing that they have to do. Just show up. He said, come to the wedding, verse five, but they made light of it and went their ways, went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed the murderers and burned up their city. You don't want to mess with the king. And then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Just because you're invited doesn't mean you're worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. No criteria, no qualifications, just as many as you can find. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad And good, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. Sounds like this king has some anger issues. Sounds like this king is is a little bipolar. Hey, come to my wedding. 
You don't want to come? Fine. Won't kill you. Destroy your city. Hey, come to my wedding. Hey, glad you're here. Why aren't you dressed right? All right, get him out of here. Burn him up. Sounds like a little issue going on. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he says in verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. I want to look at three things here that I think identify our our culture today. As to what our mission is and what our purpose is in the kingdom of God. And how we can deliver the kingdom to people. You know, you are a kingdom deliverer. You are a kingdom bringer. Be a kingdom bringer. Be a bring the kingdom wherever you go. That is our responsibility in this earth to demonstrate the kingdom of God, reveal the kingdom of God to people, not just in prayer closets, but in cubicles. In gas stations and grocery stores. Come on, I'm trying to get us beyond the four walls today. I'm trying to get us to understand the mission for why we are here. And we walk past and we drive past and we flip off and we cuss out the mission. The very ones that we were sent to be a mission to. And then on top of that, sometimes we take the liberty of posting about it for the entire world to read. Or at least the followers that we think we have about the very mission that we've been sent to minister to. I'm trying to get us to think through this series. I'm trying to get us to, to, to recognize the responsibility that we carry. And I'm not trying to be weighty and I'm not trying to be heavy with it, but I am trying us to get us to walk out of here with a sense of responsibility. Can we please have a sense of responsibility in the kingdom of God? Number one, it says that they went their own ways. One to his farm. And another to his business. Sounds like reputable things. It doesn't say that they went out drinking. It doesn't say that they went out uh, uh, killing people, went out murdering, went out. It says that they went out to their business and they went out to their farms. But we live in a culture of preference. We have never seen more of a preferential culture than we have today. A culture That serves us. We can find custom anything. You can get a custom vehicle, custom phone. You can get a a, a custom meal. We have the have it your way mentality, not just with Burger King, but with everywhere we go and everything we do. We live to our preferences. And when you live to your preference, you miss the purpose. Preference will rob you of purpose. And that's usually where we go. And even if we go into a place that's structured, and even we go into a place that has certain standards, and even when we go into a place where there's certain qualifications and certain measures that we must take, we, 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 we buck that and we challenge that. We challenge the authority and we ch- because it doesn't match our preference. And so Jesus showed up in a culture just like today, where they had preferences. They had an idea. Anybody ever notice that God likes to crush our ideas? 
for his purpose. And many times to get what you want, you have to sacrifice how you thought you would get it. They thought that they would get a king in a palace. They thought they would get some royal figure that would demand influence. They thought that, but God, but God had a different picture, a better picture, a man that would come not to be served, but to serve the world. A baby born in a manger. Not born in a palace. Not born with wealth and with fame like we talked about on, on uh, uh, Wednesday. Born in a town that, that if, if he had not been born there would not have even made mention in the Bible, much less history. Nazareth wasn't a notable town. Nazareth wasn't a re- Well, Nazareth had a reputation. It had a reputation, according to Nathaniel, that nothing good comes out of Nazareth. But see, God loves to put stuff in things that you normally wouldn't receive from. God wants to put his blessings in stuff that many times we would reject. And so when we live for preference, we miss the purpose that God has. Preference only serves one one person. It's you. And in a world, in a world where we are supposed to be mission minded, not me minded, preference will rob us of our purpose. God usually will show up at a time when you didn't want him to or didn't think he would through people that you normally wouldn't receive with stuff that you don't think is enough. When he went to Gideon and he shows up, Gideon shows up with like 32,000 men. They're going up against 120,000. I've only got a quarter of the men that I need to even be even with this crew on the other side. And then God says, too many. Your preference will rob you of God's purpose. Because God wanted to show himself strong, not Gideon. God wanted to show that he was the one that was going to fight the battle, not Gideon's men. Dwindled it all the way down to 300. I can tell you right now, that was not Gideon's preference. It was not Gideon's preference. They each went their own Ways, one to his farm, one to his business. And so this idea of this culture that serves us will keep us from serving the culture. Culture doesn't serve us. We serve culture. Are we going to serve this world? Are we going to ask this world to wait hand and foot on our needs and and, and our time and and exactly when I need it and exactly how I want it and exactly who I'm going to get it from? Or are we going to let God have his way? And see, we have to sacrifice our will for his will. You cannot have both. We cannot have both. Most, you know, not most, but a lot of times... When I talk to believers, they have this question of sin. Is it a sin? Is this a sin? Is it not a sin? That's the wrong question to be asking. And if you're asking that question, you don't really have the mission in mind. We're really asking, how much can I get away with and still operate in the kingdom and still get to heaven? 
It's that it's that mentality again that I say a prayer and get out. But how much can I hold on to? But what if God isn't just trying to get rid of your sins? What if he's trying to get rid of our weights? What if there could possibly be more that's hindering us from accomplishing what he's called us to do? More than just sin. And so a preferential culture, a culture that serves me and a culture that says, what if I want to do this and what if I want to do that? Never allows us to serve the world that he's called us to. I mean, Paul gave his resume. In Corinthians, shipwrecks. Abandonment. I've been attacked by people on the outside. I've also been attacked by people on the inside. People that should have been for me ended up against me. He said, I died. I can't put that one on my resume. Beaten however many times, stoned however many times, left for dead, naked, hungry, homeless, all for what? The cause of Christ. The cause of Christ. He wasn't living in a me culture. He wasn't living in a preference driven culture. He did what God called him to do when he called him to do it. It says here, as they go on, verse 6, the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. This is the rest. This is the ones. Okay, so you got the ones that live for preference. They went off doing their own thing. They were distracted. They were divided. They, they couldn't focus on what the king wanted them to do because their own thing was more important. I, I, I hope I never want my agenda to be greater than God's agenda. But now we've got the rest, the rest that seized the servants and killed them, murdered them. And this is a picture of our culture today, that we live in such a contentious, driven culture. We have a preferential culture, and now we see that we have a contentious culture. We have a culture that I believe loves contention, feeds off of it. It's almost like it's trendy to oppose. Trendy to bring up the opposing argument and trendy to, to bring up. And so we divide and we argue and we, we use, I think I said this a few weeks ago, we use our efforts that ought to be used against the enemy on each other. Guys, we have a limited resource and we don't have an unlimited supply of effort. And the effort that we ought to be using should be used on the enemy, not against each other. We need to recognize that it's not me against you, it's us against the devil. And we don't have time to bicker. We don't have time to argue. We don't have time for opinions. We don't have time. There is a cause. And see, when we get our eyes off of the cause, we, we turn our focus and we become distracted by the argument with each other. And this is in-house I'm talking. In the kingdom. There, there, is a, there is a contentious spirit in the world today. And we have to be intentional about fighting it. Even if it means. See, some people would rather be loud than be right. 
some people would rather be heard than be correct. I just want to, I just got to say my piece. Just got to, you know, you don't always have to say it. You don't always have to share it. And sometimes we, we sacrifice, we sacrifice unity on the altar of opinion. And the devil's just sitting back laughing. We're fighting his war for him. He's like, I don't even have to step in and do it. I don't even have to put sickness on them because they're fighting each other. They're going to kill each other. You're so distracted. No, we need to have a culture of peace. Be peacemakers. Be peacemakers. Contention. We argue over shoes and argue over ideas and at the end of the day the stuff doesn't even matter while people are lost and dying and going to hell people are 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 taking uh drugs to calm their nerves people are are committing suicide a teenager taking his life. What on earth would tell a 17, 18 year old person that your life is not worth it and you don't belong here? You might as well just take yourself out. What on earth causes that mentality? So while we're bickering about what the government thinks and bickering about where I, whether I wear Nikes or whether I wear Adidas, there are people taking their own lives and we're not even noticing it. Help us, Jesus. We're killing our own and losing the ones that we ought to be ministering to. I get passionate on these topics because as a pastor, this is my heart. These people, people are my heart. As a pastor, I'm usually very slow, the slowest. To make decisions that regard people because my heart is to, oh, I just want to give as much room and as much, man, they could get it. You're so close. You're, you're right there. You're one decision away. I mean, if I get knocked for anything as a pastor, it's not making a decision uh, as quick as maybe I ought to or being too patient with people or or being too believing uh, of people, because that's what I do. I believe in people. I don't care what they've done. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago and they're like, yeah, this is probably more than you wanted to know. And you're probably shocked by this. I'm not shocked by anything anymore. I'm really not. There's nothing you could do. There's nothing you could say. There's nothing you could share with me that would shock me because I don't look at the past. I only look at the future. I only look at what's still left. I only look at what's ahead. I only look at what's in store. I only look at what has not yet. And not the, probably the greatest thing that, that, that I hate so much about pastoring, and I've even thought about stepping out because it's too great a burden to bear, is seeing people sacrifice their potential. For junk. For garbage. Why would you accept that? Why would you do that? Why would you go there? Why would you allow that? There's so much that that you don't even know is in you. 
And that's this king. The fact that he even sent people to invite. He sent his son. He doesn't need these people to come to the wedding. He doesn't need to crowd his guest hall. He is king. He's not trying to please anybody. He wants them to share in the joyous occasion. Which, by the way, the king is God and the, the son is Jesus. And he's trying to get people to the, the marriage feast, the wedding banquet. That's you and I. A joyous occasion. But yet they use their energy to fight one another. Use their energy to fight one another. The last thing we see here in verse 10, he says, He sent the servants and they went out into the highways. They gathered together all whom they found. We need a burden for the lost. We need a heart for all that we can find. You don't have to be an evangelist to have a heart for the lost. You don't have to have that particular zeal and passion to look around you and see people that are hurting. For us, our purpose at this church is to see people anchored to Christ. We anchor ourselves to so much. We anchor ourselves to stuff that is shifty. And when it moves, we move. Anchored to the economy. And when it's up, you're up. And when it's down, you're down. We, we anchor ourselves to relationships. And we're always concerned if we have enough likes and, and if people really care. But when you learn to anchor yourself to your identity in Christ, it doesn't matter what people think about you. And you will not live another day of your life having to live by the validation of others to accept what God has called you to do and the influence that you have in life. It won't matter if they cuss you out or if they sing your praises. They don't have to give you a pat on the back. They can walk right on back, go unnoticed, and you know you're still making a difference because of who you are in Christ Jesus. What are you anchored to? We see people that are anchored, but we walk right on by. Or we complain to them because our food was cold. And we make them feel horrible. Yeah, it's quiet. I hope it's because we're thinking. So they went to the highways, gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. Now, that's not God's perspective, that's ours. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. 
And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is just as great of a tragedy to not reach people as it is to leave people where they're at. And this is where we've really got to recognize how we can match the tension of reaching people where they're at, but not leaving them where they're at. Because on one end, we have this forgiving idea and this, this culture within the church, this seeker-sensitive culture uh, that, uh, you know, we, we just want people to come to church and we just want people to hear about God. But there's really no discipleship taking place and there's really no accountability. Uh, and and we, we've got to recognize that just allowing people to live in the sin that they came in, came in with is really doing them a disservice. And the inability to identify sin as sin and the inability to recognize what righteousness really means and what righteousness, what it really means to come into the kingdom of God and change your thinking, renew your mind and how that now becomes reflected in my life. When we when we leave out the level of discipleship and we leave out this, this is what happens is we are doing them a disservice and i heard someone put it this way we think so little of each other that we never make a demand on their potential when you leave people the way they are it means that you don't really believe they have what it takes to grow up and to become mature and to become what god has called them to be we think so little of them that we can't tell them, man, that's not the way we should do that. Uh, we shouldn't be living like that. It, it should look. And so then the other approach is the pharisaical approach, which is not who Jesus is speaking of. The approach that we come in and we badger people and we just knock people upside the head with the word with no compassion and no love. And, and we look out upon the sheep with that are scattered with no shepherd and we complain about it rather than have compassion about it. It should break your heart. The Pharisees never had a broken heart. They had a deformed heart. A deformed heart can't be broken because it's already severed into so many pieces that, that they have no capacity to care for those that are not like them. It's the me world. It's the self-seeking, uh, uh, preference-driven society. And so we have to recognize that we can come as we are, but we cannot stay as we are. Where's the wedding garments? You're here. And he's not asking them, like, what's wrong with you? Where's your clothes? He's asking, saying, Dude, you, it's, it's, it's ready for you. I've already provided everything. I've already provided salvation. I've already provided freedom from that addiction. I've already provided healing in that marriage. I've already providing, uh, provided the ability to renew your mind and to, to break free from the enemy's control. I've already provided it. Why are we still living in it? Why do we still look like an outsider when you've been brought inside into the kingdom of God? And 
And as the church, we should be helping people dress in the garments. There's no, there, there's, there's no accepting here. Yes, it sounds rough, and, and yes, but that's how rough it will be, is that we have been harboring issues, harboring struggles, but then when it comes right down to it, they're not going to have entrance because they had a form of godliness, but they did, they, they denied the power there. They had a form or they had an idea of what Christianity or what being a believer really looked like, but in the end, they never really got a chance to grab a hold of who God really called us to be, what righteousness really looks like. And the king is not welcoming people on the outside and then accepting the junk from the outside. He's saying, I've made all provision for you to live above this. I've made all provision for you to live beyond this. Accept what I've already paid for. Receive what I've already done. He goes on to say that many are called, but few are chosen. This verse bothered me a lot because I was like, well, you know, if God called me, why wouldn't I get in? He called me. What's the difference? But I found out that the calling is God's responsibility. But the chosen is my responsibility. God calls. But what are you doing to be made chosen? I was thinking about it this way. I'm, I'm a big baseball fan. If you're not, you just have to excuse me. I understand it's college football season, but I don't really care. <laughs> not my thing. Doesn't move me one way or the other. I did see my team last night lose to Ohio State, so that was a little rough. But I just went to bed and forgot about it. But in baseball, when an individual is selected, let's say in a draft, they get called. But now they they go through a process to be chosen. And just because you get called doesn't mean you do what it takes to be chosen. In baseball, they have different Leagues, they have the single A, double A, triple A, and then from the triple A, you can be called up to the pros. And it's the team's responsibility to call. They can't say, why, why isn't this guy on the team? Why isn't this guy performing? Why isn't this guy doing what he... They never called him. But once he's called up, it's his job to perform and to do what is necessary to be chosen to say, we need that guy. And we cannot settle for a life of being called when God wants us to be chosen. And so, yes, I understand that it's a challenge, worship team, if you come. I understand that it's, it's, it's 
a different standard and a different level of living. And it is, it's so many times we communicate salvation and being born again and coming into the kingdom as the finality. But I'm here to tell you today, that's just the starting line. And I'm not saying that to make things difficult. And I'm not saying if I truly believe that you could simply pray a prayer and go to heaven, then man, we would all do that and we'd shut the doors. There's nothing else to do. But it's more than that. And I want you to know today, you want it to be more than that. You don't want it to be simply, I pray a prayer, but now I'm stuck down here under the dominion and the control of Satan. And I'm stuck down here without the authority to change situations around me. And now I'm just stuck with this hopeless idea that one day I'm going to go to heaven, so maybe I should rush the process. We don't need to be living with that mentality. And I'm telling you, you don't want to. I'm here to give you a message of hope. I'm here to give you a message of potential. I'm here to give you a message of purpose. Purpose beyond just living and flowing through life but with the ability to impact this world for the kingdom of God. But we have to live beyond preference. We've got to live beyond how does it serve me. We've got to get beyond quarrels with one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what background, doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter how much money you make, we should all be living and working together and using our efforts and resources against the enemy, not for him. And then we have to live with the demand of righteousness. With the responsibility that a renewed mind creates a renewed life. With patience, long-suffering, compassion. When's the last time we knew compassion? It's the last time our heart broke. When people have arguments with me when when people oppose me in any way I I see past the subject matter and I, I see past the thing at hand and I see a root issue a root issue beneath that's and I just see someone that hurts I've had opportunities where I could have been so mad I mean, just upset, could have laid into the person. But it actually just brought me to tears how far they were. And it's crazy, I can't explain it because it's not natural. But in those moments, I would actually be thinking of how I could help them. Someone that was in opposition to me. I'm telling you, that, that's not human nature. <laughs> that's not me. Because I can get angry. And I can get mad. And there's things that God's working on in my life with me. But I'll be in that position, I'll just say, God, minister to them. I've given people hugs when they were ready to hit me. 
I've done it. And they didn't know what, they didn't hug me back. They were like, what are you doing? I've sent emails apologizing to people. Asking for forgiveness. When they should have been asking me for forgiveness. You walk in love. The God kind of love. That doesn't, doesn't take into account a suffered wrong. It doesn't bring up people's pasts. It doesn't remind people of their failures and their struggles. But it's patient. It's kind. It's long-suffering. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. And that's what our world needs. That's what our world needs. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you will be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church Podcast.